0: All right. Thank you, Pat Mobley. Good evening, everybody. Good to see you all out uh, this evening. Take your Bible and be finding Genesis chapter 6. We'll be in a few verses tonight in both chapters 6 and 7 as we continue to study the Noah narrative and Our little journey through Genesis together on Wednesday night. Hope everybody's had a good day uh, today and that you've managed to stay dry. Kind of stormy out earlier today. If you don't like the weather in uh, North Florida, just hang around. It'll be different tomorrow. And hopefully, it'll be much different tomorrow. Maybe the sun will be out, and that would be a blessing for sure. But I hope you've had a good day nonetheless. Um, I was reading. A few weeks ago, a book on the latter stages of World War II, and in that particular book, the author, Max Hastings, who's a British writer, tells the story of a Russian fighter pilot who, having flown over 200 missions in World War II, was shot down by a German fighter and crash-landed. He was unconscious for a while and when he woke up he had a broken leg and several German guards standing on top of him. And they arrested him of course and eventually he got shipped off to a slave labor camp off the Baltic coast. And while he was there of course you can imagine how inhumanely he was treated. He was a witness to all kinds of atrocities. Most of the prisoners there were starving. He saw British prisoners torn apart by dogs. He saw others ushered into crematoriums where they were literally burned alive. And as many in those kinds of camps came to uh, accept, he really believed that he wasn't going to make it out alive either. And that's when he and nine other men began to plan a very improbable escape, feeling like they didn't have anything to lose. And while one day they were working on an aircraft runway there just outside the camp, the nine of them managed to overpower the one guard who was looking after them, and they managed to sneak aboard the camp commandant's personal aircraft, which was a large twin-engine aircraft, And because this one fighter pilot knew how to fly planes, he was able literally to fly all nine of them right out of the camp. And it was a tough thing for him to do that because he'd lost so much of his body weight. He was very thin and very weak. But he managed to get the plane airborne and he flew for... um, Russian territory as quickly as he could in the most direct way that he knew to, well of course he's in a plane that has German markings and so his Russian comrades are trying to shoot him down and so he's having to dodge flak and manages to do that and then lands the plane off runway into snow where he manages to bring it to a stop in a snowbank and uh, where soon he was overpowered and overwhelmed by Russian soldiers. And when they finally got those boys out of the airplane, they were shocked at what they discovered. So amazed were the Russian authorities that they declared him a national hero in 1957. You know, there's a lesson that we can take out of that, and I think it's something like this. Whenever you're in a condition of bondage, and you find that there is a way out, you're very smart to take it. And this is the great lesson that we learn from the life of Noah. He was presented a way out, a way of escape from judgment that was to come, and he was wise enough to obey the leadership of the Lord and to take it. We think about the flood epic and we first thing we think about typically is destruction judgment and indeed that's what the flood epic is fundamentally about it's about the coming judgment and it's about destruction but I think even more to the point it's about the subject of deliverance yeah the flood deals with judgment in the face of sin but it also deals with The presence of the grace of God and how God always makes a way of escape. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that no time of testing, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of what? Escape that you may be able to. To overcome it. And you see that in the flood epic. There is a 40 day forecast of rain, 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 rain. But there is higher ground, there is a way of escape. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. Last week, if you were here with us, we talked about God's man, Noah. Tonight, we see unfolding God's plan, the way of escape. Many people struggle with life and they feel like they're in a world of hurt and maybe you are tonight, maybe you're here tonight feeling oppressed or depressed, wondering if there's any way out or whatever it is that you're experiencing, undergoing, having to endure in life, whether there's a cure or a magic bullet or a magic pill. Well, I don't know about that, but I do know there's a way of escape. And his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the only way out when it comes to judgment. Then as now, one thing we need to be aware of, and that is judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming for this generation. And if this generation passes, judgment is coming for the next generation. But Jesus is coming again. And when Jesus comes again, he will judge the living and the dead. And so judgment is coming, and the most important thing that we can be prepared for is to be ready and to make sure that we have a way of escape, the way of escape, because Christ is the way of escape, not only out of any desperate situation in your life, but Jesus is the only way to escape the judgment that is sure to come. How do you find the way of escape? That's what we want to talk about for a few minutes tonight. Three things that I want you to write down, mostly from chapter 7, but from some of what's in chapter 6 as well. The first thing you have to remember is that sin has consequences. Realize that sin has consequences. It's because of sin that judgment is coming. It was because of sin that judgment was coming in the days of Noah. And it's because of sin that judgment is coming when Christ comes again. No one's excluded. The Bible says all we like sheep have what? Gone astray. The Bible says all have what? Sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. In other words, destruction, eternal separation from God in a very real place (coughs) that Jesus called hell. And the Bible couches the consequences of sin in terms of judgment. God, of course, is a holy God. And he's without sin. His nature will not allow him to fellowship with sin, to strive with sin, to walk with sin, live with sin. It's been said before that only perfect people go to heaven, and that's true. We talked a little bit on Sunday about the greatest need of your life being the righteousness of Christ, and I believe that's true. That comes as a result of being forgiven of sin and being delivered from the consequences of sin through faith in Christ alone. When you're saved, God gives you the gift of righteousness, which is the one thing that's lacking in an unregenerate heart. You need righteousness in order to fellowship with righteousness. You need holiness in order to fellowship with holiness. And apart from the gift of righteousness, it comes when Christ moves into your heart. The only thing you have to look forward to is judgment. It's the presence of the righteousness of Jesus Christ within a believer that protects and preserves a believer from the judgment that is to come. The only way of escape with respect to the judgment of sin is to first be delivered from the consequences of sin, and the only way to be delivered from the consequences of sin is through faith in Jesus Christ and the gift of righteousness which comes, the Bible says, by faith. Now, that was also the case for the people of Noah's generation. His was a generation, of course, it was absolutely corrupt, totally corrupt. The inclinations of their hearts, the Bible says, in a radically important statement in Genesis 6, the thoughts and inclinations of their heart was only evil all the time. Total depravity, absolute anarchy, no government constraints. I mean, you think it's bad now. Someone says, well, it's always been bad. Well, it's not as bad now as it was then, it's just not. That was a mess. The thoughts and the inclinations of man's heart, only evil all the time to the point where God had regretted making man and said, I can't strive with this anymore. And he determines to judge every living thing on the earth because every living thing on the earth, particularly every homo sapien sapien on the earth, created the image of God, had rejected God except for one man and his family. Look back, for example, at Genesis 6, beginning in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And of course, the way God determined to destroy them along with the earth was by what means? What was God going to do? He's going to bring a flood. That's right, a great flood. Uh, and this worldwide catastrophic judgment would destroy every air-breathing creature. When you don't have gills, A worldwide flood is not a good thing. Verse 17, Genesis 6, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, that would happen almost 120 years to the day after God had revealed it to Noah. If you'll come over to Genesis 7, beginning in verse 11, the Bible says, In the 600th year of Noah's life. That, brothers and sisters, is the embodiment of an old, grumpy man, right? 600 years young. In the second month, on the 17th day of the month. Now, it's going to become important for you to note The precision there, because I think that's important. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were open, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. A couple, three years ago in April, it rained here, what, 21, 22 inches in 24 hours? And we talk about what a cataclysmic flood that was. Well, imagine that for 40 days and 40 nights in a row. That's a cataclysmic flood. 40 days and 40 nights. Waters poured from above. Waters rose up from beneath. I think up to this point, nobody had ever seen rain. There's no indication in the Bible that it had ever rained from above, which is why I think most of Noah's community thought he'd absolutely lost his mind. Because he's basically preaching while he's building that ark, and he's preaching a gospel of repentance, presumably, that judgment was coming, and it was going to come in the form of rain, and the first question probably that somebody asked him is, what's rain? Define what you mean by that, because nobody would ever seen it before. The earth was watered from beneath, mists, and by underground springs. And so this was very unusual. He's building this boat 500 miles away from the nearest body of water. It was an outrageous thing for Noah to do. And yet what God said would eventually happen did happen, just as nobody believed it was going to happen. They heard it preached from the lips of Noah. They saw it embodied in what Noah was doing as he obeyed the Lord and built this monstrosity of a boat out in the middle of nowhere. But they never found the way out they never got in on the great escape because they refused like most people do today to believe that judgment even exists and that judgment was indeed coming they refused to take responsibility for their sin but judgment would indeed come it would come then and judgment's going to come at some point in the future, too. The Bible says that, for it is appointed unto man once to die, Hebrews 9 says. And after that comes what? Judgment. Finding the way of escape begins with understanding that you need to have a way of escape. And that God in His grace provides a way of escape. And you have to realize, you have to agree with God with respect to the certainty of judgment. You know what the Greek word for judgment is? Crisis, K-R-I-S-I-S. We get our English word crisis from it. And mark it down tonight, crisis is coming. And it'll be a critical crisis if you're not ready to meet the Lord. But there is a way of escape. In the face of the certainty of judgment, in the face of the reality that sin does carry eternal consequences. And that's the first thing that everybody must come to grips with. Speaking of that, the second is realizing that there is a way of escape and realizing what the way of escape actually is. And for the people of Noah's generation, what was the way of escape? What was the way of escape? The ark, that's right. This big block of floating wood. Now, let me just say, when we talk about the ark, we're talking about a literal boat here as the way of escape. Get inside the boat and be delivered. And the message from Noah was, outside of this block of wood that will float, there is no hope. Because this... And this alone is the God-ordained way of escape from the judgment that is to come. Now, many people, of course, you know this as well as I do, want to debate whether this is fact or fiction, whether this is myth or fable, something that is told in the form of a story, but not really a literal account. It's just there to illustrate a larger spiritual truth. Now, let me say from my perspective, I don't think this is a myth. I think it's a mistake to interpret it that way. In fact, again, remember what I said a moment ago. I challenge you, you read through Genesis 6 and 7. And the thing that is pointed to me is the level of factual data, specificity that's there. Now, there are lots of mythological tales that have been told throughout history and the reality is most of the time when you're dealing with myth you're dealing with very general stories that don't have a lot of specific detail to go along with it but there's reams of factual data here and the instructions that God gives Noah are very precise did you notice that very explicit the chronology given here is in exact days in other words the dates are very specific it's as if Noah himself is charting a log God says to Noah instructions that are also very specific. Build it of gopher wood. I mean, God tells him the kind of wood to use, probably long lasting cypress. And build it three levels one, two, three. Put one door on the side, put a window opening on the top. You get the window, Noah. God says, I get the door. And by the way, you need to seal it inside, seal it outside with pitch. And he tells him how to build it. 450 by 75 by 45. That's a football and a field half long. Do you see the specific instructions? Listen, in any fable account that you read, you're not going to get that kind of detail. And that's why this is so very important. Now that boat, interestingly enough, you go on a major ship today and it's just computers everywhere, you know. In fact, those ships drive themselves. They've got captains on there. Have you ever been on a cruise ship? Have you noticed how precisely those things go into dock? I was in Seattle one time, and my hotel room looked out over Puget Sound. Now, it's in the Puget Sound that's there in, in Seattle? I don't want to get Seattle and Alaska mixed up because when I get the facts wrong in an illustration, people write me emails. So let me just say, I think it's Puget Sound. Man, I'm telling you, one time I got the Bay Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge mixed up in terms of where they led, and every person from California was on me like white on rice. So I think it was Puget Sound. But I sat there in my hotel room as a cruise ship came in, and I was just amazed at how that thing navigated and turned and eventually docked. And then I realized that's all done by computer. They just punch coordinates in now for the most part. We well, didn't have anything like that. The ark didn't even have a rudder. All it was built to do was float. It didn't have any navigational equipment on it whatsoever because God was the captain. Noah was not the captain of that ship. God was the captain of what Adrian Rogers used to call the good ship Grace. And as such... He knew exactly where he wanted it when it was all said and done. And that's the important thing about the ark. The ark was the way of escape. The ark was the prescription for life. And only those who were wise enough to listen to the gospel call and turn from their sin and grasp the way of escape and come on board, the ark would live. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That's what your preacher does every Sunday morning at Hillcrest. That's the message every week of repentance and turning away from what's wrong and turning to what's right and finding the way of escape from the judgment that is to come. And it's coming. And only those who are aboard the ark are going to live. And that's why he tells Noah to bring aboard all of these animals, every male and female of the species, seven of every clean animal, and the reason that he's got multiple types, see, it's not just two by two by two. He tells him if it's a clean animal, bring seven pairs of each clean animal. Now, why would he tell him to do that? Well, I had to eat. They also had to worship. And worship involved blood sacrifice, so they needed sacrificial animals. But then they also needed some of them to reproduce, obviously. And then he tells them if it's an unclean animal, just two. Two of every unclean animal. Now, in case you're wondering whether or not all those animals could get in there, scientists estimate maybe 20,000 species alive at the time of Noah. And that boat was pretty big. I'm told that there's one up in Kentucky that's been reproduced. Has anybody here ever been to that? It was a pretty big ship, right? Blow your mind. I'm told that the cubic square feet inside of the ark is the equivalent to about 500 railroad cattle cars. You think the trains going through cantonment are long. I mean, they are not 500 of those things on there. Well, you could get that many of that number of species on a boat that size with actually quite a bit of room to spare for the wife and kids. And that's what they did. But I tell you what's significant is the connection. What's super significant, there is a spiritual connection that's just as important and maybe more so. And that's the connection that the ark has to Jesus. Because the point is, see, we still need an ark to carry us to safety. Judgment is coming for us. And there is only one way of escape. You still need an ark. You still need a way out, a way of escape from the penalty of sin. For them then, it was the ark. For us, it's the crucified, buried, risen Christ. That's the God-provided way of escape from the judgment that is to come. And so it's a beautiful connection because then the judgment-proof box made of wood that carried Noah and the family of Noah to higher ground is a type. It points directly. Get this. The boat was made of wood. Jesus, what did Jesus do by trade? The woodworker, the son of God, by his death and resurrection, shelters us from the storm. Not only shelters us from the storm, but he sustains us through the storm, just like the ark did. All those centuries ago, Acts 4.12, there is salvation, deliverance, escape in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be what? Saved. Jesus said that about himself. I myself and I alone am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Saved. And when you think about it, that was the whole purpose of Jesus coming. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why was Jesus born in a manger in Bethlehem? 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to what? Say it out loud. To save sinners. There it is right there. That's the whole purpose for the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ because we were helpless and hopeless, facing a judgment for which we had no hope. But Christ Jesus came into the world as a means of escape, as a means of rescue for people just like you and me, sinners. So Jesus is the ark. He's the great escape. But here's the deal. You got to choose to get on board. He's not going to compel you on board. The door is open, but you have to respond with faith. You have to choose To come in, which leads to a third principle of salvation, and that is respond while there's still time. Because there may not always be time for you. The invitation goes out, and it's time to respond when you receive the invitation. The invitation is found in the first verse of Genesis 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household. Interesting thing, in fact, circle the word go there. Anybody using a King James Bible tonight or a New King James? What's the verb? What's the imperative there in the King James or the New King James? The Lord said to Noah, and what's the next word? Come. Come. not that interesting? Most of the modern translations use the word go. It's the same word in the Hebrew. And so context determines it's, it's a matter of proximity. You have to determine where the speaker is speaking from. Is he saying, come to where I am or go to where you should? And most of the modern translations say it as the ESV does. Here, go into the ark, you and all your household. But the KJV, the New King James, few others use the word come, which I like because come is a very biblical word. It could be translated either way. But come is a very biblical word, particularly when it comes to salvation. Isn't that right? It's a particular New Testament word that's often used by and applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think, of course, you know, that was God's boat ultimately. God was not so much sending Noah to where he was not. I think God was already in the boat. It's like oftentimes we get into church on Sunday morning and sometimes we pray, Lord Jesus, come and meet us here. As if he's not already there. So we invite Jesus to come into his house. Listen, it's his house. He's already He was there long before we got there. The question is, are we going to meet him? And even though we're there in body, we don't always meet the Lord, but it's not because the Lord's not there. And so come is a good way to look at it. God is saying, come and join me in the ark. Because that's really what salvation is. (laughs) Salvation is getting to where God already is to escape the judgment that is to come. Salvation in the collective sense is this gathering of the saved together with God. Which is why you see Jesus pleading for people all throughout his ministry when he was ministering those three years on the earth. He pled with people to do what? come great biblical word on the last day john 11 on the last day of the feast the great day jesus stood up and cried if anyone thirst let him come to me and drink matthew 11 come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest and it's all over his ministry And it's the same invitation that God gives to Noah. And really, not only to Noah, but anybody else that would heed his preaching. In fact, God shows up and he gives him. He'd already told him earlier, I'm not going to strive with man forever. His days will be 120 years. Which was God's way of saying, this generation has got 120 years and then the rain's coming and and the floods are going to roll. So God had given him, you know, in football, there's a two-minute warning. Well, God had given Noah the 120-year warning, which sounds to me like it ought to be plenty of time, okay? So Noah preaches while he's hanging from that boat, his skin stained with tar and pitch, splinters in every part of his body. And he's calling out to these crowds that are doing nothing but jeering and mocking him. Calling on them to heed the warning for 120 years. And then God shows up in another sliver of grace. And really does give him the two minute warning. Only it's a week's warning. He gives him a week's lead time. Rain's going to fall. Seven, Genesis 7 and verse 4. For in seven days, I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So he gives him a heads up. You got a week. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming over and over again for a century and a fifth. And then gives him a week. Seven days, rain is coming, 40 days, 40 nights. And every living thing that I've made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. And of course, presumably any and everybody who would heed the warning presumably would be able to come aboard that ark inside the ark of safety and find deliverance. They could have easily done so, but they didn't. The same God who had shown his grace and his patience By sending that generation a preacher of righteousness to help them understand what was coming now gives them a final measure of grace, but not one person responded. They watched the animal kingdom beat a path to the door of that ark, seeking refuge, but it made no difference in their lives. It was an emphatic no to God. When we were pastoring in Missouri, Many years ago, there was a guy in my church that was there every time the doors were open, but he was lost. His name was Bob, senior adult, big burly guy, happy-go-lucky, really a jovial personality. I loved him dearly. He married a Bible-thumping woman, but he was lost. She knew the word inside and out. I'm really not sure why she married him. It was her third husband. The previous two had died. So she'd outlived the first two. And the first two she married, she married them lost. But her witness was sufficient. They eventually came to Christ. And so I guess she was feeling pretty confident about her ability with lost men. I don't condone that, by the way. In fact, I don't even think it's biblical. I didn't have the courage to tell her that. Because I was afraid she'd hit me over the head with her King James 16:11, But she was a sweetheart of a woman. So she married her first husband, led him to Christ. He dies, marries her second husband, leads him to Christ. He dies. But this last guy she married was a tough nut. He was gospel hardened. Now, part of her strategy was to make him agree as a condition of marrying her that if she, Whenever she went to church, he came and he said, I'll do it. And she made him hold it. And here's the thing he did Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. That's back in the day we did full service on Sunday night and he was there. He came more to my church than 75% of those who were professing believers Most of my believers didn't come on Wednesday night. In fact, most of them probably didn't come on Sunday night. He was there every time the doors were open. I was there 10 years. That man was exposed to more gospel preaching over a 10-year period than anybody I've ever been associated with, not to respond to Jesus Christ. And finally, you know, I just said I talked to his wife one time and I said one thing that I haven't done I talked to him every time he's here but I've never come into your house can I come into the house oh I wish you would so I just stormed the gates one night went down there and talked to him and by the time I got finished with him his hands were trembling she had to bring him a glass of water and he was trembling like this he was resisting everything I said And there were reasons for that. He was one of these guys that had a really bad experience as a young man. He blamed God for it his whole life, wanted nothing to do with him. And he resisted. The entire time I was there, he never made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though every time, three times a week, he would hear a gospel appeal. He would have an invitation He would hear the words of Jesus, come unto me and be saved all ye ends of the earth, only to resist and to resist and to resist and to resist. That's what happened with this generation. They resisted, they resisted for 120 years. They heard the gospel and they said an emphatic no. And then when that final week was over, the door was shut. 600 years, two months, and 17 days. That's how old Noah was. And on that day, he, along with the other seven members of his family, went aboard that ark, all the animal kingdom on board, and verse 16 tells us, the Lord shut him in. I love the way that's phrased because Noah didn't shut the door. Who shut the door? God shut the door. Whose boat was it? That was God's boat. That was God's means of escape. And once all were on board, God shut the door. And once they were on the ark, they listen, here's what's beautiful about that. God shut them in. It's a beautiful picture. Not only were they saved, they were also totally secure. Can I have an amen tonight? They were not going to perish. They were completely kept safe by the power of God. And that's what happens when a person comes to Christ. You're saved and you're secured for all of eternity. God brings you into the kingdom by his grace and he shuts the door. And that's what God did to Noah. And it's what he does to all who come by faith. He shuts you in the kingdom of Christ. Look at Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were what? Sealed. Circle that word. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the what? Guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That means until you get to heaven. You're sealed under God's divine guarantee until you acquire actual possession of it to the praise of his glory. I love the way Jesus says it. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall what? They shall what? Never. Never perish. You know what never perish means in the Greek New Testament? It means never perish. How's that for a Greek lesson tonight? What's there to misunderstand about never perish? I give unto them eternal life. By the way, what does the word eternal mean in the Greek New Testament? It means eternal. It means not conditional. Do this, and as long as you do this, then you'll stay in the kingdom of God. No, once you're in the kingdom of God, you're there for the eternity of the kingdom of God. They shall never perish. No one, no thing can ever snatch them out of my hand, Jesus said. That's what God does. Once you're in the ark of safety, once you are in Christ, God shuts the door and God seals the door. And you and I are forever secure from the judgment that is to come. But here's the thing. You have to decide to get in the ark. Because as great as God's grace is, it doesn't come without limits. It's grace, but it's, it's great. And it's, it's, it's deep and it's wide, but it's not unending. Because after seven days, that same door that God opened, God shut. And once it was closed, the opportunity was gone. No second chance. It was too late. Those who were in, were shut in, those who were out were shut out. And that's why the Bible teaches consistently that when it comes to spiritual things, he or she who is wise takes them very seriously with a sense of urgency. The Bible says in more than one place, today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, which is, of course, the heart of the matter. There is a great escape then as now. His name is Jesus, but the clock is ticking. And you may not always have opportunity to respond to the gospel And get aboard God's good ship grace. The opportunity is there tonight for those who don't know it. You don't know when it's your time to meet the Lord. You don't know how many breaths you have left to take. But what's so very important is when it comes to eternity, one of two things will happen. You'll either find yourself shut in the ark Or you'll find yourself shut out. Which will it be? Will God shut you in? Or will you yourself be shut out? This is God's word. And all God's people said,